good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Breakfast with Boz being served by Wahoo. I am your host, Ian Boswell, eating some turkey biscuits with my wife this morning. That's right. We still have turkey left over from the Thanksgiving holiday. It's been cold enough here in Vermont that we cleaned the bird. We made a couple soups, made some stock, but with all the extra meat we had from a 19 pound turkey, we've been trying to use it in every possible way. So we made, while well, my wife, Gretchen, made some whole wheat biscuits and we made a little gravy for the top. Gretchen, I was not a biscuit eater before I met you, but we have some biscuits here this morning. Why do you love biscuits? And how does this biscuit compare to maybe a not whole wheat biscuit? Oh, these are great questions. I don't normally get featured for breakfast time, but um, this biscuit is a whole wheat biscuit and I did put some thyme in it and it's a little bit more dense than, you know, just like a regular white flour biscuit. I grew up making biscuits with my mom in the kitchen because her father, my grandfather, really loved a dish called creamed chipped beef. So it's dried salted beef all chopped up basically in a gravy and it's what he ate in the army out of his helmet and he called it shit on a shingle because it wasn't such a nice fluffy white biscuit like I learned to make. I recently transitioned to more holistic biscuits for Ian mostly (laughs) but yeah that's kind of the story of how I came to really love biscuits because my grandfather just loved shit on a shingle in a less shitty form I suppose. (laughs) Well the tradition lives on and we're having some biscuits and gravy and I have to say I think this will be our last use of our Thanksgiving turkey. So there we have it that's breakfast. I hope you can all sit back relax enjoy the holidays on Breakfast with Boz being served by Wahoo. In the episode today, I am joined by the multi-talented Colin Strickland talking about the soon-to-be-released Wahoo Frontiers film featuring Colin, his hometown of Austin, Texas, and the countless projects that Colin continuously finds for himself, whether it be motorcycles, building out an old trailer, his adventure mobile, or working on his bikes, Colin can do it all. So. We have decided to feature Colin in the latest Wahoo Frontiers film, which will be releasing on December 26th. There is a link in the description below where you can sign up to be notified for the premiere of Colin's film, which will be coming out on Wahoo's YouTube channel. Again, that is December 26th. You don't want to miss this one. If you have been a fan of the Frontiers films throughout the year, you are going to love getting an inside view of Colin Strickland's life. Before we hear from Colin, let's go down to Tasmania and hear from Dylan Robbins about the new inspiration series over on the Sufferfest. I actually just did one of these workouts and as an endurance athlete, I really enjoyed a longer, steadier effort from the Sufferfest. I thrive on the longer events. So this was a perfect hour and a half ride that I did and a fantastic video with HTC Columbia, a team that I watched back in the day. I was able to relive some of my childhood memories watching pro cycling and getting a great workout. So let's kick it down to Dylan and then my conversation with Colin Strickland. Hey, this is Dylan Robbins. I'm the head of marketing for the Wahoo Suff training app and also Wahoo's a public mustache. 
apologies to Pete Stetna. And I'm coming to you from Wahoo Suff's southern headquarters in beautiful Hobart, Tasmania. So we are living in the summer, in the future, as it were. And I just wanted to tell you guys about some exciting new content that we just released in the app. This is our new inspiration collection. So this is probably the biggest release of content at one time that we've ever had. The Inspiration Collection is a series of 31 of the most inspiring films in cycling and endurance sports, and each film is paired with its own structured workout designed by the elite coaches at the Wahoo Sports Science team. Most of these workouts are endurance or recovery sessions, and they range in length from about 30 minutes all the way up to two hours. So whereas in the past, in some of our training plans, we had Sufferfest sessions that had reduced intensity to get the right training stimulus, now we have dedicated endurance recovery and kind of tempo sessions paired with these inspiration films. We really do have something for everyone in there from powerful documentaries to behind the scenes glimpses into professional racing. We have motivating adventure stories like I Just Want to Ride featuring Wahoo athlete Alail Wilcox. Available now in the app, like I said, all of the training plans have been updated to include this new content. So if you're currently on a training plan in the Wahoo Stuff training app, you can delete that plan, reapply it using the same start date or end date, and your previously completed workouts won't go away. It's just all the ones upcoming will be updated to include the new inspiration content. Thanks. Back to you, Ian. Good morning, Colin Strickland. How's everything down in, in Austin, Texas? Things are good. The world is still turning. The sun's still coming up every day. Yes, that's where we're at. <laughs> yeah, well, we're, we're talking about the new Frontiers film today, which comes out on December 26th. And golly me, I, I've been following, obviously, the, the Frontiers film since the, the first one was shot up here in Vermont last November, December, kind of through the, through the journey of this strange year. And your film is the most recent. And I have to say, it is a fabulous film. And I think it really captures who you are as, as an athlete, but more importantly, your lifestyle and just your, your persona of who you are as a person beyond the bike. And it's, yeah, it's something that, you know, really kind of opens, opened my eyes and I'm sure everyone else's to, to who you are. Did you, did you enjoy watching it? I did. Yes. I do feel like the guys, uh, Ansel and, and Nick, they were really able to capture some kind of unconventional, unconventional content from a, from a cycling perspective. Uh, so it was really fun working with them and with Wahoo, with Matt over there and with you a little bit to get and give them kind of free reins to just tell a story from with a few more dimensions than the normal, uh, normal pro cyclist. So it was great to have that liberty. Well, since the film opens up with, with you playing a guitar and there's, you know, you and I have gone back and forth over the years since we've, since we first met talking about music. I mean, there's a fabulous soundtrack and the music is from an acquaintance friend of yours. Can you tell us a little bit about, about the music used in the, in the film? Yes. The, besides me just noodling around on the guitar for, you know, a few, <laughs> few, it seems like hours at a time. We used two songs from a musician from the Austin area named Shane Renfro. And he records under R.F. Shannon. He plays with a complete band. I'm not only am I a big fan of, of his music, but it just fit the kind of the, the story we're telling very well. And it's it has different like a couple of different vibes that we used. One is kind of just like rich, rich like smooth landscapes and then you know just yeah so shane renfro of rf shannon is featured in the film and it is amazing <laughs> i highly recommend everyone check out some rf shannon on spotify 
download the album and um, give it a listen. It's been a it's been a good companion for me, like last year and this year especially. Well, I mean the the music and just it, it all fits together so well with with who you are. You know, people around the world know Texas as this you know this big tough you know cowboy state and. It is, but you know, I've been to Austin a couple of times and it's this very unique, eclectic mix of people and music and culture and food. And I think that really comes through with with the music and and I mean really who you are. I mean, you're 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 a cowboy, but yet you're a hippie. You know, you have motorcycles and RVs and you're playing an electric guitar, but yet you have, you know, free Tibet flags hanging up and you're, you know, very environmentally conscious and aware of what you're doing. And I think that really, you know, comes through. Is that, you know, are those values that you feel were kind of instilled in you from growing up in Austin? They they definitely were. Yeah. Both my parents were were long hairs, as some call them, who kind of were jumped into the back to the land uh, movement in the late 70s, mid 70s, 60s, and retreated out to a 23 acre piece of land outside of Austin to start an organic farm in the 70s. So that was definitely what I was steeped in from an early age. Uh, you know, we had a Leonard Peltier free Leonard Peltier um, poster up on the wall in our bathroom and just a lot of kind of like mental thought starting pieces all over our house. Do you still kind of align with a lot of the values that you grew up with, with your parents? And, you know, being in Texas, it's, it's a, you know, Austin in particular, such a strange place because it's, you know, it is this young, vibrant town, but in the outskirts, and we see that in your, in the video where you're riding, it's, you know, you're out there in the middle of, of almost nowhere. Is that, you know, something that you feel is still important to you and you kind of make the connection of how important and how, how much you love living in that area? Is that a place you would continue to see, you know, spending the rest of your life? It is a place that will always be a part of my life. That much I know. Uh, just like at anywhere that is, you know, experiencing population growth, Texas is shifting. And while, you know, it might be shifting politically for the better, it's still, you know, kind of hyper development, at least in the Austin area, which is really impacting the riding. You know, when you account for what that means, that means more cars, farther to ride to get out of the, you know, into the countryside. So yeah, it's hard to say. I I, I do love the city of Austin and I there there is a lot about Texas that I'm, you know, ashamed of and in recent news, no question. So yeah, that's it's a complicated it's it's like any like most places, it's it's a complex story. But so far, I mean, I I, I feel like it, if I if I have been attached to it the, this this long, I feel like it will continue to be a, a place where I I call home, if not <laughs> live here permanently. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like you said, th- this whole film, you know, it talks about you so much more than a cyclist. And one thing that I love seeing was was you with your motorcycles and working on your motorcycles. And I saw that you just have a, a new bike. How many bikes do you have in your garage now? I have I have four bikes in my garage currently, which I'm trying to do something about and liquidate one or two of them that because they're just falling out of rotation. You just you just can't ride four motorcycles. That's just not when you when you spend your your most of your time on a, on bicycles. That's just getting ridiculous. So yeah, there are four right now. Um, I've been working with Triumph USA to uh, do some riding on their new Triumph Tiger 900, which I'm very excited about um, in the in the coming year. Have you looked at building a little rack for the back of your for your Triumph and putting a, a bicycle on the back so you could go on quick quick and short adventures? You know, drive out to West Texas, throw the bike on the back, and then do a ride from from out there. I sure have. Yes, that is that is on the radar. I'm working with a fabricator to. Uh, to make that happen, as well as transporting this 
super tall motorcycle on uh, the back of my truck as well. So yeah, I, versatility, that's what that's what makes me like the most the most excited and happy is when you have like different transportation options. I, I still, you know, undying love for the bicycle. And people ask, are you going to still ride your bicycle? I'm like, well, I've been playing with motorcycles long before I was a serious cyclist. So I think so. Do you ever find yourself you know, out on the motorcycle and thinking, oh man, I wish I was on my, on my bicycle. Are you spending enough time doing both and making time for, I mean, that's one thing that I realize is you, you're very good at delegating your time to your passions. You know, learning guitar is not easy. Working on your motorcycles and putting time towards that's not easy. Building out a trailer, training, like you have so many things going on. How do you keep all these projects going? And like, how do you stay not motivated, but just engaged with all of them and give them all the attention and time that they need? That is a great question. Do I? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Often, you know, it, it things, my motivation comes in, you know, in surges. So different things I'll, I'll kind of fall into, you know, admittedly in the middle of the summer when things were just looking, you know, un, completely uncertain, no vaccines. I was not, not super motivated to be in race fitness on the bicycle. So I used the opportunity to ride the mountain bike more and work on the, the Spartan trailer living space. And uh, so yeah, it's I'm not I'm, I don't claim to be the best at time management and delegation, but things somehow it's worked out the way I do things, which is um, kind of a little more go by feel kind of whatever I'm feeling that day. But regarding motorcycle and bicycle, yeah, there's nothing there's they're entirely different. Just the fact that the bicycle just gives you back kind of, it kind of gives you back energy as you pedal it uh, in terms of just giving you the satisfaction and the the endorphins, whereas sitting on a motorcycle for long periods of time is really not that fun. It's fun for a, for a, say half an hour to an hour on a cool road, but then just sitting on a seat with no return, no feedback, no fitness, no no cardiovascular effort is just not that satisfying. So they're very different. So luckily they don't overlap in that way. Yeah, I mean they're they're two wheels, but they you're right they do. They do give you a very different sense of of thrill and and workout and yes. engagement. Yeah. So anyway, just compartmental, like just trying to make some of these things fit together. My some of my kind of hobby pursuits fit together very well, such as you know playing guitar is is in my opinion the ultimate recovery, versus watching TV or playing video games or something like that. Um, it's a passive. You know, it's along along with reading or something. It could be considered some of the most productive recovery time. Is that your like go to when you've come back from a from a huge ride and you're tired and just want to kind of hang out? Do you just sit back and and turn on the amp and go through some riffs? Yeah, it definitely. It definitely is probably the most the most often turned to in terms of yeah after after a ride where I just know that I'm just going to be couch bound for at least an hour. Or so that is that is usually the activity of choice. Well, and you know, one thing that I'm guess realizing now is that you in the film you you talk about the fact that you had a world tour offer, and that would have been 2020. Which I mean, goodness, goodness, <laughs> you made, right? You made the right choice to you know to not be trying to to race you know professionally on the road for the first time this year. But you know, I see your life and and how full it is and how fulfilling it is to you know have all these things and this time to you know whether it's not organized, but you do find time to make you know do the trailer and, you know, travel and ride and play on the motorcycles and play guitar that had you gone to the world tour, you would have really limited yourself. And I would think, you know, having, having been there, that your time would be very limited. You'd be in Europe. You don't have access to all those things. Is that something that you considered when you decided to not, you know, pursue a world tour road contract was essentially your, your quality of life that you have and that you've built for yourself? 
It certainly was. And when I felt like I had my mind made up to go, you know, to Europe and race, I had my my mentality was I would just be essentially putting things on hold for the rest of my hobbies and focusing on the, the bike because you have to at that level, no question. There's a reason why most of those guys don't really dabble in too many different fields of, of realms of interest and time-consuming hobbies because, you know, the bike is the full-time. That's everything. It has to be to be at that level. So yeah, my mentality was I would just pretty much take a hiatus and put everything on ice and go focus on the bicycle like I had never before and see where that led. But yeah, it as it turns out, it just... The more I the more I analyze it, it, just didn't make sense for me, and I'm very feeling very fortunate to have arrived at that conclusion. Considering 2020 being such a absolute roller coaster, and what racing did happen in the World Tour would have just been a pressure cooker. Not it would have been a quite a crash landing. I'm I'm afraid for well, someone like me. Yeah, and it was it was a crazy season, you know, for for everyone out there, whether you're gravel or on the road. But was that one of the the fears of you know? thinking that had you gone to the world tour, you know, maybe it worked out, maybe you won, you know, a big race or you, you know, renewed a contract for another year, but was one of the fears that if, you know, it doesn't maybe go as well as, as you had hoped, or, you know, maybe the team had hoped that you would come back and kind of be back at square one and trying to rebuild, you know, essentially this amazing, you know, project and career and lifestyle that you've created. Definitely. That was the thought I had is that it would, it would kind of deconstruct the current kind of life structure I have at present. So that was definitely, I mean, and I'm, I'm a, I always say I'm a pragmatist and, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be, a, you know, it's kind of a gamble and it's kind of a numbers game. And, you know, you could reduce most things in life to the odds, like how, what are the odds this is going to go well versus the odds it's going to, you know, not go well or just not get the result I would hope for. And while as a, you know, a late arrival walking into the world tour races, the odds would not be very good. And no, no matter how you cut them, the odds would not be in my favor to be able to get even just a, a notable result in that format. So yeah, it, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a strong gamble. So, and then, you know, much, much less, I wasn't even considering a pandemic striking uh, the year that I would have been slated to go to Paris-Roubaix. And for the first time in what, 40, 50 years, there's no Perry Roubaix. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, you, 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 you gambled and you, you made the right call. I'd say I didn't gamble. I, I took the choice that kind of held more likelihood of success this in this time. When you said something in that you said that, you know, going to the world tour, that wasn't your dream. That was someone else's dream. And that really resonated with, with me because my dream was to go to the world tour and to race in the tour. And, and was that in a way a hard pill to swallow knowing that maybe how other people would would view that and be like oh man you gave you know I would have given anything to have that opportunity was that something that you considered how other people would view that or was it very much a decision that you know you were going to do what what you felt was best for you and your future and kind of what you have laid out in front of you well that honestly that wasn't too much of a consideration because end of the day we live our we live our own lives and while you know, while I, you know, I do see what we do as athletes, as entertainers, you know, we do have to do entertaining things and it would be an entertaining story to follow it. It's not my, you know, I'm not obligated to take that dive just because it would be fun for people to follow along and watch the, the impact, like the, the impact to my, to my life would be so far greater than the entertainment value. So yeah, I'm not, I'm, I, I was really not that, that 
much of a consideration. I, I really don't care what people like how someone would feel, you know, about my decision. Well, and I think that, you know, one thing that I learned just kind of hearing you talk is that, you know, by not having these specific goals and dreams, and of course you have ambitions and races and, you know, you want to perform, but by not having these specific goals of like, I'm going to make it to the world tour. And, you know, you, you state that, you know, this is, you're just following what makes you happy. And in a sense, it's like the optimal way to, to pursue this because you're not, there's no end, there's no finish line for you. It's not like, all right, I, I go to the world tour. Cool. I'm in the world tour. Like, I mean, this is your path is kind of forever, you know, being opened up yeah, because exactly. there's, there is no finish line. Exactly. And it's forever fulfilling. There's no, there's no massive letdown when you set this goal for yourself um, and you don't achieve it again, there, the, the, the odds for me to, you know, start as a cat, cat five at age 23 and then win a race called Dirty Kanza eight years later, they, those odds would not be very that high at the time. I would not see that as a very large, like likely thing to happen, but Sure enough, it did. But, you know, it's all a result of just kind of going step by step and enjoying the process, not racing, not focus, not putting the energy in for, you know, where I think it will go, but just because it's such a damn fun ride. I mean, is that something you find in other aspects of your life as well? Not just cycling, but you think about, you know, even these projects, you know, with with the with the Spartan trailer, is it more the process of, you know, designing it, building it? And then once it's done, is it almost like, cool, like I need to find something new. There's, I mean, your, your finish line is, it seems like it's kind of continually, there's always something new and that's such oh, a refreshing man. way to live. I guess, I guess you just nailed it. I have never thought of it that way. And I just was having this kind of mental revelation in my head as you were saying those words of like, okay, so it's, it's kind of like, there is so much just frustration in these projects but then why have i kept accumulating more trailers if i just want one nice trailer to drive around that is a good point so yeah i guess so i guess it is it is equally about the process if not more about the process than the than the end result for myself that is almost painful to hear though it's actually verbalized well i mean in, in a way it's it is a fantastic way to be where there is there is no there's no end. You know, it's like you're always pursuing something new and there's always something new on the horizon rather than, you know, I found it in my life, you know, cool, you do a big event and you make it to where you want to go. And then it's like, well, now what? You know, I'd been so there's focused on this. Down, right? Exactly. You're so focused on a specific goal and objective, which is needed at, you know, in certain aspects of life. But you kind of always have to have, you know, one eye on on what's coming up down the road. And it seems like you have a very good perspective of being aware that to not get too stuck in the moment on a specific, you know, project, race, event, because there's always going to be something down the road. Yeah, that is true. That is true. From like, from an emotional standpoint, as a bike racer, you know, we go through so much ups and downs that, yeah, just maintaining, maintaining a, a kind of a perspective on it's, it's kind of a luxury to be able to do that and not, not have to just be absolute laser focused on the the event or the moment this moment that's upcoming that you have to be fully engaged in in order to succeed um, it's certainly a luxury to be able to live that way and it but it's kind of how i've trained my uh trained myself to kind of move through the world is is yeah have a lot of things on my mind essentially a lot of different things and you know time on the bike actually the one thing i've uh, always realized is it gives you a lot of time to think and to to digest projects and ideas and to just like come up with interesting solutions or just come up with new concepts and ways to flesh out say business ideas or 
you know, what have you, any manner of ideas, just keep your brain going on the bike. It's a massive amount of like digestive time that you can put in energy that you can put into various things in your life. I mean, this is something that I've occasionally do is like, you know, oftentimes I have these amazing ideas on the bike and I come home, I'm like, oh geez, what did I, I forgot what I was thinking about on the bike. Do you, do you oftentimes like take a little note while you're out riding? If you have a really good idea about, you know, about something on a you know five, six hour ride about the trailer or music or, you know, training, whatever it may be, do you, do you take little mental notes or do you write those down when so you don't forget them by the time you get home? I've gotten pretty good at, at taking mental notes. I've never really been a been a list maker. So I have everything just kind of... Imagine just like a giant box of receipts and just shake it up. Maybe receipts, maybe various things. Uh, just mix it all in there. All these little pieces of scraps of paper and then just massive box, like a refrigerator box and then just shake it up. And that is what my head is like. <laughs> so... It's in there, but uh, yeah, it's. I wouldn't say it's organized, but it works. <laughs> you you can retain information. It's not. It's still in the box. <laughs> I won't be sending my taxes for you to do. <laughs> no, that's April. not. That's, that is not my. That is not my forte. I'm not going to lie. Well, and you know, one thing that's definitely changed, you know, especially in the last twelve months for you after you know after winning Kansas 200, which is going to be Unbound. Unbound is you know you. You know, you did start to get this this start, and that you would have felt in you know winning a big race in Europe. Is that something you enjoy? You know, you you said in the, in the film you don't you don't really you never anticipated or you know strive to be in front of cameras or on this podcast. Is that something that you find enjoyable? Have you become more comfortable with it, or is it still something that you're wondering why people want to know so much about Colin Strickland? Well, it's I'm I'm fortunate. It's not very invasive in my life. You know, I'm I'm still ultra fringe. I, I would say e, D or E list celebrity, if that's what you want to call it. Uh, so I don't have any like day to day struggle with people like annoying me for a photo. It just is like every now and then I'm at a cycling event and someone might want a selfie or take a photo with me, which is great. That's just it's 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 satisfying. So I really don't have to deal with any unpleasantries associated with being a person who is known even in small circles. So. Yeah, I don't know. I, I find it as an opportunity to kind of it to kind of share with people. It gives me kind of a little soapbox to stand on. And I don't want to bore people and I don't want to, you know, kind of preach too much. But I do think it gives me a little opportunity to, you know, share my thoughts on the world from time to time and what makes me tick. And maybe maybe sh I, I do like sharing what from my cycling journey has been meaningful. Share that with other people. And most notably, like people ask me, how do I become a pro gravel racer? And <laughs> my answer is usually you don't. You just enjoy the process and you just love you just love what you're doing and that's the most like that is what will give you the most likelihood of success because if you don't love what you're doing you you just can't sustain at the level that you have to to get somewhere that you want to be yeah well it's kind of the same the same uniform message that that sarah sturm shared is that she you know she wishes that more young athletes could see people like yourself and like her and realize that there's there's more paths than one to be a successful cyclist, you know, for the longest time it was, okay, you need to be a world tour pro to be a successful cyclist. And, you know, both you, Sarah, so many other athletes, you know, predominantly in, the, in North America right now are showing that there are so many different ways to pursue, you know, a successful and enjoyable career 
as a cyclist? Thanks to a lot of factors, you know, in, in modern kind of technology and whatever the modern age we live in, those doors have opened and we are the fortunate ones to have walked in. Well, and through the, you know, you'd mentioned your your cycling career has almost been like chapters of a book. You're in the third chapter now in, in Endurance Gravel. Do you have any idea what the next chapter of of the book is or you just enjoying what's happening now and, you know, trying to make the most of it while, you know, while you're still at the top of top of the sport and the, and the reigning gravel champion. I I do feel like the, I am, I have found a, a chapter or a format that suits me very well physiologically, which in Red Hook, it wasn't so much the case. It was more like I had cracked the code for, you know, repeatable results in that format before any other riders really had. And then at the end of my, I had a four, four race winning streak. The next year is when Specialized, I left Specialized. They put together the Rocket Espresso team. They had about five big, strong diesel engines. They had Justin Williams. So, you know, they put together a squad that you couldn't ride away from for 40 minutes, 30 minutes. Um, I was, you know, I w- it was more like, that was more like a, in an, al- an analytical situation to, f- and I did have the skill set to kind of put out a strong TT effort for about 30 minutes that was hard to match on a fixed gear, you know, going single file through technical turns. But in gravel, I do believe it, you know, and so ultimately at, at Red Hook, I was outgunned by, you know, these, this, a strong team. It could essentially negate my, my not, not my strategy, but my, my, advantage that I had formed. But in gravel, I do think I have a physiologic aptitude for these kind of massive, it's more, I see it more as a massive metabolic effort than anything. You just have to be able to push a massive amount of kilojoules through your body in a moderate, relatively short amount of time in terms of, you know, overall, this isn't race across America. So I do think I found a niche and so yeah, this chapter is not done. And if if something like Red Hook ever kind of came back on the scene and there was a, a big push behind it, is that something you would want to dabble in again? Oh, I would definitely race it. Absolutely. No question. Yes, absolutely. Would I expect to, to excel? Definitely not. I've changed <laughs> my, uh, again, I've, I've retuned myself to races that are five to six, seven, eight times as long. So that would not be an expectation I would have on myself. I'm going to be, I'm going to be, be, be gentle on myself and not, you can't have it all at once. You can, you, you can, you may be able to have it all, but you can't have it all at once. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're very different events and yeah, you've, you've mastered the endurance gravel. And so kind of in conclusion and to tee up next week's episode where we're getting audio from listeners kind of talking about their, their 2020 goals and ambitions. What are your, what are your goals in, in 2021? Well, my goals are to compete and continue to be be at the top of the field, whatever that means. Uh, but but for from a more personal angle, I think that you know, as you saw in the Frontiers video that was focused on on myself, I have been kind of putting in a lot of energy to just. It's not like change my lifestyle, but I have felt pretty heavily grounded in this place of Austin, which is a wonderful place to live and race, but it is not the, it's not the best riding. Uh, and there's so much amazing riding out there. So I want to use 2021 and really motivate myself by getting to the beautiful places in, in America. We have so many beautiful places to ride a bike. And that's my goal is to really drive my racing with, you know, you call it adventure riding, just exploration riding and just just personal for myself, not like no one's done these rides, but just find beautiful places that I've never been and use that as my 
that will be the theme of my of my training is just go to beautiful places and let the places inspire me. Well, I was going to ask you how you hope to achieve those goals, but it sounds like to achieve that you got to ride your bike and you got to finish up the finish up the trailer. I sure do. Yep. Will that be done in in time for the first races of of 2021 if they if they come back? Yeah, the plan as I'm looking at it, hopefully I think it's it would be it's it's relatively safe to say February, but certainly by the time, you know, the heat starts to arrive in Austin, which is that is the killer. 2020 Sitting through Austin in the summer is something else. I don't know if anyone's ever done that uh, or, or spent that much time in this this climate, but it is a mother. I mean, it is just as you are disincentivized to get out. And you said it was 15 degrees there in Vermont right now. When it's, you know, when it's, you know, it's going to be 105, it is very challenging to get out on the bike. So get get out to places where I'm more inspired to be, to be riding. That's the goal. Well, come visit us uh up in Vermont next next summer. Yeah, you bet. I've got rooted in Vermont on my on my calendar. Awesome. Well, I hope to see you here and hope it's all safe. Colin, thanks so much for taking the time. I know you're gearing up to head out for a ride. Enjoy it. Enjoy the the warmth of well, I know it's not a hot day down in Texas, but it's it's a lot warmer than it is here. So yeah, go make the most of it. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, Ian. Appreciate it. Thanks, Colin. Well, there we have it, folks. Another episode of Breakfast with Boz being served by Wahoo. I hope you enjoyed my episode today and my conversation with the master of everything he touches, Colin Strickland. In the description below this podcast, however you download it, you will find a link to the premiere of Colin's Frontier video, which will be going out on December 26th. So mark your calendars and be sure to check out Wahoo's YouTube channel to see Colin's beautiful new Wahoo Frontier film. You can check that out. And in the meantime, folks, please have a safe and healthy holiday season. I will see you all right back here next week for our special New Year's episode. Thank you to everyone who has submitted your goals and ambitions for 2021. That'll be next week's episode right here on Breakfast with Boz being served by Wahoo. Thank you.